Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. When he was pitching for the Nationals, yes. you couldn't turn the TV no, off. No, you had to You've never seen numbers like that on the radar gun. And you just thought this guy's best ever, but it hasn't, health-wise, it hasn't held up. God, I'll get you out of here on this. I watched the Pirates recently because I took two or three from the Nats. Who's their manager? He looks like he escaped from someplace. <laughs> Who is that he guy? Is, uh, <laughs> he is, that's Derek. <laughs> that's good. That's a good one. Yeah, that's Derek Shelton. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So, of course, I watched the Nats last night against the Cubs because I want them to beat the Cubs because of Wilbon. Of course. Um, so, I get, I'm a little late to the game. The game starts at 7.05. So, I'm getting on it at about 7.15. So, it's already one nothing. Oh, yeah. I get a text from Chuck Todd. And the text just says, who is this guy pitching? <laughs> so, I turn on the set and it's a guy named Irvin. I-R-V-I-N. So, I write back, Irvin Magic Johnson. <laughs> And then we go back and forth for the entire game. One of the highlights of the game to me was Dominic Smith. The Nats are down one nothing in the third or the fourth. Yeah. Dominic Smith comes up with one uh, first and third, nobody out. And, of course, you know, doesn't really deliver much. First and third, nobody out. Um, but a run comes in as he hits into a double play. A good time to mention our Johnny O promo code of TK5, celebrating all five RBI from the month of April. <laughs> he has. And so I assumed he got an RBI because a run came in, although he killed the inning. Because you go from two on and nobody out to nobody on and two out. Yeah, Josh Belden. But then, right, that's exactly right. And I, it drives me crazy. And I go back and forth with Chuck and with Saliza. Saliza is also involved in this, in which I just say he plays every inning of every game. He's terrible. Why is he on the field? But I assumed he had an RBI. I looked at the box this morning. He did not get an RBI for that. Can you explain that, Michael? Because we went over uh, This is just something that you, we Googled for you just to try and get uh, clarity. A batter does not get an RBI if he grounds into a double play and a run scores. But this would I be different than, uh, yeah. you know, hit by pitch or uh, bases loaded walk. Yeah, you get it for that. I, I thought you I thought did. You I thought if your if you're bat brought the run in, yeah. I thought you got that. So I had that wrong. So, so he's back did, down to five. He doesn't even have six RBI. Did you see the ninth inning? No, but uh, apparently Finnegan made everybody nervous. He had he got two three. hard hit balls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting play at third. You try and get the double play. They do not get the out at first in time. Uh, but he was able, like next pitch. He was able to get out of it, but pretty stressful. The Nats as stressful as May baseball goes for a last place team. When they took out Irvin, <clears throat> Irvin was in trouble. He had two on and one out or something like that, and they brought in Ramirez. Ramirez is second pitch ground ball double play. So what the double want. play helped them last night. The, they, I thought that Finnegan got out of a dub, with a double play, too, at the end, right? Uh, did he yes. not? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the double play ball helped them last and night. And did I see that... The, and this, then they're playing this afternoon. Greg's going to this game. That this is the Greg's Greg game. He's got it. good seats. Yes. <laughs> it was cold last night. Did, were you there in the seventh inning? Did you see Dan Coco's jacket? No. He, they, had, they did a shot to him. They tossed him. It, it was, was cold. Like it was cold. Was up in the, yeah, it was cold. The upper deck... Uh, jacket was tight around the neck. He looked like Darkwing Duck. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, just standing over the city. Yeah. So, and didn't okay. I see that the kid with the? I think this was his debut. His first pitch, he hit a guy. Irvin, yeah. Well, he, and I then he, he threw it up in the end or something. And then he and he calmed down after that pitch fairly nicely for you. Yeah, he got to establish the zone. Yeah. He, exactly. Back off he, that plate. He man. lasted into the fifth, and he'd only given up one run. Yeah. I mean, that's for a guy who's not a huge prospect. He's not Cade Cavalli, right? You know. So, and he's not Mackenzie Gore. So that was good. Wanted to mention that because this is all I do is watch baseball till I start to yawn and then I'm done. <laughs> and that's early because I'm old. Yeah, games are going fast. That's great to know that the games go fast. I always like when I begin to get tired, I look to see what time it is and what inning it is to see if it's working. We have 
PTI tomorrow, we have Theo Epstein on. And you know, and you know Wilbon, of course, loves Theo Epstein, as he should, because sure. he brought a World Series championship to the Cubs, as well as to the Red Sox. But Wilbon goes on television every day, as Nigel knows, and says baseball gets everything wrong. <laughs> baseball gets everything wrong. He's not going to say that to Theo Epstein, because Theo Epstein's behind all of these things. Yes. He's going to say, Theo, this has been great. You've been brilliant. <laughs> but every day, he says baseball gets it all wrong. Yes, he says that phrase a lot. I am going to say that to Theo Epstein. So <laughs> Wilbon says, you get it all wrong all the time. What do you want to say to him? I'm going to make sure I say that, even if it's not in the script. Theo Epstein... Just pick the date you want to be in the Hall of Fame and we'll accommodate you. You walk in. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So um, in the style section today in the Washington Post, if you get it online, you can access it from anywhere. If you get it like I do where you, you know, subscribe and it's delivered, then it's probably only in in the regional, D.C. regional area. There's a big story on Luke Russert. The style section has a big story. It's written by Kara Vogt. I am unfamiliar with her. And it talks about Luke's new book, which came out yesterday, I think. There's a book party for Luke next week. Yes. The name of it is is Look for Me There, Grieving My Father, Finding Myself. Carol has read this book, likes it very much. I tend not to read books by people I know because I'm a hypercritical human being and I don't want to be for people I know, so I tend to stay away. Maybe read about 20 pages and just say, great, you know, because I'm... You don't want that from me. You know, you, I'm your friend. You know, I'm your friend. So read the book. I think it'd mean a lot to Luke. I will try to read some of it. I won't go the whole distance. I don't. So you're think. not going to leave a review on Amazon? I am not going to Where the do book that. is trending. Yeah, he's done very well. Yes. It's, yes. So, so, so he's like number song. one, I thought, in, yeah. on Amazon. I, I saw him post something like that, that he was number That's one. That's lovely. Yes, it is. You it know, is. good for him. So we'll have him on the show. Of course we're going to have him on the show. Did you not read all of Simon the Sea Cat? I did not, because <laughs> you're my friend. Did you read the sequel? Is there a sequel? No, because sadly, um, sadly, it doesn't end well for Simon in real life. So. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so let me get to this thing. Our friend Matthew Abbottball, he owns a running store right, in Evanston. St- yes. Focus. And he sent you, Michael. Yes, the Bondi 8s, which have been helping my arthritic knee. Okay, so he sent him a pair of hopes. Self-diagnosed. Says, hi, Tony <laughs> and team. While listening to Monday's podcast, there was an email read about Hoka and Zero Drop Shoes, and Tony expressed interest in an explanation in regards to Zero Drop running shoes. Zero Drop Shoes did indeed become more popular back around 2008 and 2009s as brands like Ultra and Topo, who specialized in Zero Drop footwear, were established and quickly became increasingly popular. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a craze. Zero Drop Shoes are an option available to people who suffer from certain ailments, need a balanced cushion where there is no drop, or simply want something that is more natural but don't want to walk the earth completely barefoot. Most traditional running shoes vary between drops of 4 millimeters up to 12 millimeters. Brands vary in their offerings, but usually offer a variety of drops to capture as many customers as possible. Nearly all Hocus have a 4 millimeter or 5 millimeter drop. I have read this to you faithfully. I don't understand a word of this, just so you know. (laughs) So if you're a runner, you probably do. The most important thing to keep in mind, Matt writes, is that all these things exist and each person's needs are different. Zero drop shoes may work well for some and not for others. Traditional running shoes like your New Balance 990s may be fantastic for you and cause issues for someone else, while Michael's Michael's Hocus may not be the best fit for you and so on. The best way to know is to be properly fitted for shoes by an expert at a local running shop. And while doing so, make sure to ask for a bag of liquid IV, a pair of loose underpants, or a supply of infinite crab mallets with your shoe purchase. Ooh. That's funny. So does that sound correct to you? Uh, sure. I know nothing about this, but I've, I, 
I have been told that if you are changing running shoes, you have to be careful because I think if you make too big of a jump, <coughs> that could lead to more issues. When yes. you say running shoes, are you talking about people who actually run in these shoes? I can't run two steps anymore. I'm too old to so run. So that's I've the lost problem. Them. Like you used to call them sneakers. I wear them as sneakers. Right. Okay. So there'd be a difference between like sort of a fashion sneaker and a running shoe that is primarily used for running versus well, even just like a city shoe. So when you've seen me wear the, the shoes that have no tie laces, yeah. that is more of just an all-day walking shoe. Right. I would not necessarily run in that, whereas I might do so in like Brooks or, you know, your... your uh, well, the New Balance hopeless. that I have, I use as shoes. I use as walking because I don't run anymore. Right. I walk the dog in them. I so do that's everything. more of a running shoe, but you've also had New Balance shoes that are a little bit uh, wider and they look like more of like a cross-training shoe for all those weights that you lift. I don't know. Would these shoes be good for the kicking in the pool? No. Yeah, there are certain things called pool shoes. Oh, really? You can actually get things called pool shoes where you walk at the bottom of the pool in pool shoes. Everybody I know who takes all the aquatic classes has these. I walk in the pool. I don't have them. Every single time I walk, somebody says... Why don't you get these shoes? I go, I really like should. Shoes. Are these like aqua socks? I guess. Like I don't, when, oh, those are wild. Yeah. Yes. I don't have them. It's like them. form-fitting on your foot? Yeah. I need them. Okay. I need them. The next, so There's the another boys, one. This uh, is from Joe Schultz from Pacers Running. So he's a runner. I've been waffling back and forth about reaching out since I heard questions about Hoka a few months ago. And after yesterday's show, I decided it was time for me to send you an email. I've worked in a local run specialty store in the D.C. area for 15 years and have seen brands and technology update and change substantially over that time. While it is true that low drop or low offset footwear can cause your legs, Achilles, calf, and hamstring in particular, to lengthen a little more with each stride, it also puts your leg and foot in a more natural position. When you are barefoot, your heel does not naturally rest higher than your forefoot, and lower drop footwear aims to create a more natural position while providing cushion underfoot for impact protection and support to cradle the arch and heel. Again, more than I've ever known or cared about with feet. I cared about this with feet. Do they hurt? <laughs> if they don't hurt, I'm good. Your New Balance 990s have a standard 12-millimeter drop offset, meaning your heel rests 12 mil- millimeters higher than your forefoot. The New Balance Fresh Foam Moors Michael has have a 4-millimeter offset, as well as a rocker geometry. And most Hoka shoes have a 4-millimeter or 5-millimeter offset, confirming what Matt said. I hope that clears up the info for you. Additionally, getting properly fitting and supportive footwear that matches your feet and needs can be tricky. At my company, we specialize in specifically fitting each customer who comes through our doors with just the right shoe for them. This involves a quick conversation about the use of the shoes, any pains or problems the customer has, a quick analysis to determine the arch profile, length of foot, length of arch, and width of each foot. I'm just going to add parenthetically. This is fantastic. When I go to stores out in Rehoboth, I am treated by someone who has no interest in me whatsoever or my needs and just, you know, says, okay. And I hand him a, a box of shoes and he rings them up or she rings them up. I've never had this happen to me. This sounds great. This is followed by observing how the customer walks without shoes so we can see how each foot impacts the ground and moves through the stride. With all of this info, we then select a shoe that should pretty match, pretty much match well with needs as we see and understand them. You lace those up, walk around, give us some additional thoughts. We observe and check the fit and pull two or three more that should absolutely nail it. If you're running, we also have a running component to the analysis. The whole thing takes about 30 minutes for a fit. I'd be more than happy to host you, Nigel, Michael, and or others in one of my shops, off hours if preferred, to help you find the best solution on me. If you have any notes from a podiatrist, physical therapist, or other medical professional, I also incorporate those into the fit. 
Side note, Pacers, where I work, is the store that did the Gulf Relief 5K way back in 2005, where you and Carville, I remember this, kicked off the race because Bonnie sent me a picture of this, before it started. Anywho, I've been listening to you for years. I remember PTI coming on the air at ESPN. You've been a staple in my life. I appreciate you and the rest of the team. Thanks for all the laughs and entertainment. Isn't that nice? That is. So, and, they, and these, they confirm each other, the Matthew one and the Joe one. Yeah, getting more information with, with each entry. I can't wait for Ross Weber from Keen Footwear to, uh, yeah. to text me a little but, bit later. But shouldn't, shouldn't we do this then? Sure. I've, I've worked shouldn't with Pacers before. Shouldn't we avail before. ourselves? I've, I've done that thing where they sort of observe you and the shoes that they recommend for you. You go in the observation room. Yes. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. I so feel like I'd be too nervous to, to run or walk in my norm, normal way. I'm more of a bouncer when I walk. Right. Very self-conscious about my gait. Well, you know, I think we should, everybody should... To me, this to... sounds a lot like you can go to a grocery store... I mean, it's store. hard to do this with Matt because he's in Evanston. Right. Well, yes. Uh, you it's can go to a grocery dry. store and pick up anything you want from the, you know, the meat counter. And sometimes they have someone who's you know, cutting chicken or cutting steaks for you versus going to like Hickman's where you can talk through the process where the exactly. meat was sourced, how you can want I, it prepped. Can I ask you a question about food? Uh, is it about the prices year to year? It's they- about price. Uh, why are organic blackberries so much more expensive than regular blackberries when I can't taste the difference? Yeah, I think some of that's just marketing. I think there are regulations yeah. as to what makes it an organic it's label. It's $2 more. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I, I would say the big thing for you is as you cycle through different grocery stores, and I know you're not going to do this, but there are certain <laughs> stores that you go to for produce, berries specifically, because that is such an expensive yes. proposition. I was, it was still at five forty nine. Yeah, how is yeah. it that the bear snacks that my kids want for dessert have gone up like a dollar in price in the last six weeks? I, I'm tired of hearing about food chain supply. I'm tired of hearing about that because everything is here. Yeah. You know, we're, we're getting the blackberries from... How far are we getting them from? Yeah, let's see you walk this one back. Where <laughs> well, we get the blackberries from? Okay, but well, I don't know where they last year the blackberries didn't cost this. I, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm being hoisted on my own petard. Do you ever buy grapes? Yeah. No, I'm grapes not a aside from meat and or wine or that type of you know that type of beverage is the most expensive thing in grapes? my cart. Yeah, grapes, really? really, grapes. Like which kind do you get? Do you get the, the I get the green, green ones or the red seedless ones? grapes yeah, because green, the green seedless. tend to last longer yes. than the red. Yes, they do. Yeah, is that Though right? if you get a nice red grape, nothing better. Yeah, yeah, but they go faster. Yeah. How did we lose the train of thought on <laughs> on sports in this show and end up great win by the Celtics? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we'll take a break. Tim Legler talking about the Celtics. Tim Legler will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a group with an interesting name. At my age, it's troubling, to be honest with you. Hanoi Ragmen. I mean, I, I'm too old to not think of something very specific when Hanoi is in the title. Hanoi Ragmen are six talented friends from Alexandria, Virginia, who played together since middle school. Published uh, one EP, one full album of rock and roll songs. On April 1st, 2023, the 35th Annual DC Whammy Music Awards awarded Hanoi Ragman's album, The Old Light, Best Rock Album, and their song, Foolhearted Best Rock Song. That's wonderful. 
This is Foolhearted. This is the song that is so good. And it plays in Tim Legler. And I remember when Tim Legler went on television for the first time, basically, right with George Michael. That was the first time ever for you on TV, I think. Yeah, I believe you're right, man. That's right. <laughs> now you're a TV guy. It's not that hard. You know, it's not. It's not that hard. You can do it. Tim was great with George Michael. Just great. I do you enjoy it. Do you enjoy doing the TV? Uh, yeah, I do. I love doing the TV, particularly in, with the NBA. Uh, unfortunately, because of so much that goes on in the regular season, the, NBA, the regular season can be a little bit of a grind because there's so many guys that aren't playing on given nights when you're looking forward to covering important games. Postseason, totally different. So, yes, this time of year, I absolutely love what I do. I'm going to assume, but maybe I'm wrong, that the biggest surprise to you so far was Milwaukee losing to Miami, or, or am I wrong on that? No, no, you're, no, you're 100% right. I mean, Milwaukee was a team that I you know, picked to get to the finals before this season, and they had, again, like every team I feel like in the league, they had guys out throughout the year, so there was sort of an ebb and flow to their season. Um, but once they got everybody back and healthy and, and ready to go, I know Giannis missed a couple games in that series, but yep. he sort of turned it. I still thought down 3-1 when he came back that they were going to win that series. So for them to go out the way they did and, 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 and really allow kind of Jimmy Butler to just dominate them to that extent, that was very surprising to me. I, I thought that was a championship-caliber team, and I didn't think we had very many of them this year. Me too. I agree with everything you said. Um, but I, I will say, and when people talk about great players, and Jimmy Butler is not necessarily mentioned, but he is a great playoff player, Tim. He's just great in the playoffs. Yeah, he is. He has the ability to take his offense to like a totally another level. And that's it's very hard to do. Usually by the time you get to the playoffs, you kind of have a pretty good feel for what guy's ceiling is offensively. His is, during the regular season, his is a guy that picks his spots. I watch him some nights in the regular season. He'll go six, seven minutes in the first quarter, not take a shot be out there kind of facilitating you know easing his way through it and then he's always pretty good late in games in the regular season but you know to have a 20 point first quarter in a game that they have to have like you know you say how did that happen where does that come from that a guy can elevate his game offensively to that level but he's a competitor and i guess he just needs the ultimate competition to bring that out of him and it always makes you wonder it makes you wonder is he withholding his talents during the regular season, he's so great in the playoffs. In two games where, again, they played against Antetokounmpo, and they won both these games, he had 56 and 42. Like, uh, Tim, who gets that? Nobody gets yeah. that. Yeah, and, and Tony, it's crazy because if you t went around the league and you looked at teams that had you know top-flight perimeter defenders that could guard Jimmy Butler, Milwaukee's, got as many as you're going to need they got Drew Holiday they've got Giannis they've got Chris Middleton who's yeah. a very good defender they've got some of the role players that are excellent defenders so you're talking about doing that against top flight guys too and and getting on these roles where like every time he leaves the floor to shoot it you expect it's going to end up going in and it's got this flat trajectory there's zero margin for error he's got no arc on his shot and it's just the precision with which he does it is very Kawhi Leonard-like when he's at his best. And, and that's not 
something that you'd see from Jimmy Butler during the regular season. It's been amazing. As long as we're going to talk about um, Antetokounmpo, I'm going to ask you this. I'm on the record on this one. I would not have voted for Embiid for MVP. I would have voted for Antetokounmpo because Antetokounmpo's team finished two places ahead of Embiid's, and every single time they played against each other, Antetokounmpo's stats dwarfed Embiid's. Embiid's a great player. I'm not knocking Embiid. I would have voted for Antetokounmpo. How about you? Yeah, I was I was leaning toward Embiid, and it was it was a three three man race. <clears throat> excuse me, pretty much all year. And again, throughout the season, it's interesting this award, and it's different now. When I first started working at ESPN, you didn't really talk about the MVP until March or April. Now, you know they want to know in November who's the MVP of the yeah. league. And so, all year, that name for that award is different. The different guys jump out of the gate. Like it was Jason Tatum, clearly the first two months of the season. Then it was Giannis, like over the holidays into January. Then it was Jokic, felt like it was him leading up through to the All-Star break. But from the period of time, from late February until the end of the season, Embiid was the best player in the league, and the Sixers had the best record in the league over that stretch. So it's very much a momentum award, and Embiid got the momentum at the right time because that's when you really start thinking about it coming out of the all-star break and he grabbed it at that time. And so it was going to be difficult for someone to wrestle it away from him unless he went down for a sustained period of time with an injury. His team started to lose games unexpectedly or his production for whatever reason dropped off for you know a month and none of those things happened. So I did feel like he kind of controlled it. And for me, at the end, I thought it was he and Jokic were sort of in this neck and neck. And what what kind of tipped it in his favor, in my mind, was was the impact that he has defensively. You know, and, and it's it's just remarkable some of the stuff that he does on that end of the floor that you don't notice because he's putting up these huge scoring numbers. So I thought they got it right, and I'm glad Tony, by the way, that he got it because I do a lot of Philadelphia sports talk radio all season, and they were obsessed with Joel Embiid getting this award. I can't, I really? can't even begin to tell you how tired I was of talking about this award. So now that he's gotten it, hopefully I won't have to do that anymore. <laughs> well, you make a very good case for him, a much better case than I would make for Ronda DeCumpo. Um, I would ask this, because so, Wilbon and I talked about this yesterday. Embiid played last night. Now, Boston drilled Philadelphia, as most people expected would happen, with or without Embiid. Uh, and, and Philadelphia is great because they stole home court, you know, and they go back 1-1, um, back to Philadelphia. Would you have played Embiid? I would have. Wilbon said he would not have even let him go on the trip. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I, I, I can just tell you this. Knowing the nature of that injury, he felt pretty much normal. Okay. And, and, and if he feels normal, yeah. play him. Play him. Because here's the thing about this, this, you know, the first two games, and we always talk about it all the time, get the split, right? You got to get the split. You did your job. It's 1-1. Go home. You stole home court. Here's the thing, though. The timing of the split matters a lot. So if you're the road team and you get the first game, great. If you lose that second game, now that, that team that's the higher seed, they just won a game. They feel much better about themselves going into your building now on the road, Right. It's different if the road team loses the first one, which you usually expect for the most right, part. Right. The higher seed's going to win that first one. And then the road team gets the second game. Now you have that great feeling about yourself as you go home. So it's really not the same. And I think 
I think that's what they're thinking. Look, he says he's feeling normal. I'm telling you right now, he wasn't feeling any pain or stiffness in that knee. And if that's the case, play him. Because to go up 2-0, you put a stranglehold on this series. I agree. If you lose the game, Boston, like they did, not, not only did they win, look how they won. Now Boston feels great about themselves going back to Philadelphia. So for me, it's, it's not something you predetermine. It's how do you feel? You feel you feel pretty normal. There's no pain, stiffness. Your lateral movement is not limited in any way. Then you're going to play. Now you might he's been out for two weeks. So if you want to say, hey, he's going to play 25 minutes, I, okay, I, that's fine. But you don't just automatically say, no matter what, under any circumstances, are you playing? Even if you're telling me you feel great, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Nor to me. Nor to me. Let me move over to the Warriors and the Lakers. This is the best the NBA has in terms of fans. Um, fans want to see these two teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're the Warriors and you make 21 threes and the other team makes six and you lose this game, what are you thinking? That's the exact script you want if you're the Warriors. Make a whole lot of threes, win the game. What, what do they think? Yeah, it's, it's – listen, here's what it comes down to in that series. It's – if Anthony Davis is that engaged and that impactful and powerful and just uses his size and skill and athletic ability to the extent that he did and – and, and I thought actually his defensive presence was even more important than what he did offensively. And he had 30-plus points, um, you know, grabbed 23 rebounds. Yeah. It was his paint presence because not only did he did – he, you know, block shots, it's after he started to either block or deter or alter everything that came near him, guys just stopped going. And when you start to play a game where you think something is taken away from you, some area of the floor, man, is it a lot harder to play basketball when you have to play one very specific way. So it's a problem for them. Now, I think they're banking on the fact that, hey, maybe he's not close to that good every night. And if he's not that good... Then, then, then those are nights that the Warriors believe they can win. And so if Anthony Davis is you know, sort of up and down throughout the series, they feel like they're going to have a chance if he's not completely ready to go when he gets to the arena. And he's not hasn't been all the time. And I think that's kind of what they're counting on. Here's the thing, though. If I'm Steve Kerr, here's, here's my message to my team, Tony. Look, they couldn't possibly – like, that's the best Anthony Davis can play. Yes. He can't play any yeah. better than that. And we were in a – one possession. We were tied. We were game. tied late in the game. Tied. Yes. Exactly. And I think that's that's kind of what my message. The other thing is, there's going to be massive adjustments on their part because of the way the Lakers were defending he and Steph, and, and it's kind of thing it defies all defensive principles about seeing the ball in your man and help defense and all those things because you're literally face guarding these guys away from the ball, and that was pretty effective for most of the game. And then they put the ball in Steph Curry's hands later in the game, let let him bring it up the floor get some screens, get free, get some space. He got into his rhythm and he got loose on them. So I'm very fascinated tonight to see, do they do that from the beginning of the game? And if they do that, what's the Lakers then adjustment to him handling the ball and coming off ball screens? Because they didn't deal with that that much in the first game. So the whole thing is going to be very fascinating. Two very different styles and ways of beating you. Um, And in the first one, Anthony Davis was by far the best player on the floor and the Lakers got one. No, and, and yeah, I give them all the credit in the world because the other team did nothing wrong. Golden State played well, and, and they still 
lost that game. I'm glad that the game starts at nine tonight. I mean, if I'm yeah, the commissioner yeah, of the league, and this is the best I've got, I'm saying to TNT and to ESPN, we're not starting at ten. We're not playing that stupid game. We're gonna we're gonna start earlier and get the East involved. I'll get you out of here on this. I ran my yap early in in the year about when Durant went to Phoenix, and I said they're automatically the best team in the league because I think that much of Durant, who's now three of fifteen from three in the first two games, and Chris Paul's doomed. He's got hurt again. He gets hurt in every playoffs. I'm not going to win with them, am I? I'm not. Well, that, it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. And I, look, I, I want to tell you, I also felt like when they got him, I knew it's not something that you just fix, you know, that you just implement him overnight, and you know, the next day you wake up, you're the best team in the league. It takes time to find chemistry and rhythm together, but he's probably the easiest player yeah. in the league to, to assimilate to any situation because – you can just drop him in with four guys, and immediately they're much better. And it, he doesn't require you to do anything to alter your offense or the way you play for him because he's that good. He just does it efficiently. He knows, hey, go ahead. You can shoot the ball six straight times, Devin Booker. I know that I'm good enough. I'm going to do my thing every night. So I felt the same way you did, that once I saw them for a month, I was going to be convinced that's the best team. That's the team that's going to – be in the finals and right now with Paul out putting the ball in Booker's hands as point guard and oh get me 35 while you can't you're do it, it. Can't that's do a it. lot on his plate yeah and here's the thing I'll say about Durant Tony and they got outplayed both games in against Denver Kevin Durant so far since he got there in the playoffs he's only been their best player once they didn't bring him in there to be you know the second best that's player right Kevin Booker right so tonight is, or whenever they play tomorrow night, tomorrow night, it's got to be a Kevin Durant game. Like he has to be as good as Harden was the other night for Philly. He's got to go it against Jokic and even with Booker and his own team. And at the end of the game, we've got to be talking about Kevin Durant's greatness, and we haven't done that yet in the postseason. So he has to have a signature game, and it's got to be game three to get them back in it. But I still don't think they can win this series without Chris Paul. Yeah, I feel the same way. Thank you so much for being on. I know we don't ask too much, but I'm really grateful when you come on. Thank you, Tim. Anytime, Tony. Yeah, anytime. Anything you need. Tim Legler is just wonderful. We used to do the George Michael show together. It's 100 years ago. I may have had hair. No, I doubt it. We'll take a break. Andy Beyer will handicap the derby for us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Once again, these are the Hanoi Ragmen. And this is a song called Animalisms. They're good. <laughs> they're good. I have trouble with the name because yes, of my age, right, but understandable. they're good. Yes. Michael, if the Hanoi Ragmen or people like the Hanoi Ragmen want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. The first Saturday in May is the Kentucky Derby Day. 
And we have Andy Byer on before the Kentucky Derby, and we have Andy Byer on before the Preakness, and we have Andy Byer on before the Belmont. And why do we do that? Because I know Andy forever and ever, and I love Andy, and Andy invented Byer speed figures, okay? You didn't invent them. Someone, <laughs> somebody in your family didn't invent No, 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 no. Andy invented them. So he knows what he's doing. All right? So here we go. Let's start with this. Bob Baffert is still banned, right? He's still banned. What do you make of that? What are your thoughts on Baffert? You know, I I think that Baffert was made somewhat made a, a whipping boy to show uh uh, you know, how, how vigilant Churchill Downs is about uh, the integrity of racing. Uh, he, you know, he, he had, uh, you know, he, he, he used a, a, a medication that's, um, you know, that is, uh, that is sometimes, that is legal, but out, you know, but used it outside the, the legal limits. I, uh, he, Let's see. I don't think he he deserved, you know, to have his, uh, you know, to become public enemy number one. There were guys in the sport who were uh, who were like really corrupt and got away with it for a long time, and and the industry didn't do anything. But uh, you know they you know they you know they had uh, you know after his horse got disqualified two years ago. Uh, uh, they, you know, they had to do something conspicuous. So this is this he's, is he's on the sidelines, but yeah. uh, I mean, he will. I mean, he he's the greatest trainer of our time, and when he comes back, I think he'll come back with a vengeance. Yeah, I mean, you know, it loses glamour without him. The horse racing business yeah. loses glamour. This is exactly the same. This is you when a substance is both legal and illegal, depending on the dosage. This is Max Scherzer with the rosin. This is the yep. same thing. What do you mean? It, it, things can't be legal and illegal to me. They can't, I, you gotta, there's got to be something more finite about it than this. All right, so I get I, a friend of our show is George Mallet, and he's a beautiful artist, and he's on television, and he loves horse racing, and he told me about Flightline before I'd ever heard the name last year. And he is on the uh, Japanese horse. Derma Sotogake, is that how it's pronounced? Are you on this horse? I am. Really? I am. <clears throat> um, well, for a couple of reasons, Tony. One, uh, just on his own merits. Uh, you know, the, the horse uh, uh, had, had done all his racing in Dubai, but then, you know, uh, there are two big money races uh, uh in, in the winter, one in in Dubai, another in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, and he won the Dubai race, the UAE Derby, by five lengths. And um, the the time of the race was was exceptional. Now I'm uh, I'm a little hesitant, you know, to translate it into a buyer speed figure because three three years ago there was a horse named Mendelssohn who came from Great Britain who won that race by a big margin and I said, geez, we'll we'll make a figure uh, for this and uh published it and he got a figure of hundred and six. He's the top figure in the Kentucky Derby and he lost by seventy lengths. <laughs> so that that uh uh chastised me a little bit. I don't want to uh uh, you know, a, a, announce a figure, but there, let's see. There is no doubt that Dermasodagaki ran a uh, an outstanding race, a very and, and 
I, I would say it was a faster performance than any of the U.S. horses have delivered. Now, Andy, no, nobody who's ever won that UAA, UAE Derby has come back and won the Kentucky Derby, right? Nobody's ever done that. That's true. And the Japanese record in the Derby is zero wins in 148 years. Uh, but... Consistent. There's been a, a, a really interesting phenomenon in, in world racing. I mean, ja, you know, the Japanese horses used to be a laughing stock. And over the last couple of decades, their industry uh, has uh, gotten stronger and stronger. They've got good horses. They've got a ton of money over there. And uh, they are starting to win uh, major races around the globe. They've won the big race in Hong Kong. They've won the big race in Dubai. They've won the big race in Saudi America. They've, you know, they've done extremely well in uh, uh, in Australia. I mean, and these are these are all serious racing countries, and and uh, I believe they would love to win the Kentucky Derby. I mean, this could be the real. Uh, 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 you know, uh, race that you know that cements you know their their status. But I, I I think that Japan is poised to eclipse both Great Britain and the United States. You know, as the uh, you know the the power of world wow. racing. So wow. so there's you know there you know there's there's more about Dermasodagaki than just his own. Per- uh, you know, his own merits. Okay. All right. Uh, my friend Eddie likes a horse called Skinner and wants to box him with Fade and Maj or Majay. You like Skinner? Uh, he will. Uh, he, my, he, he was one horse I would use in an exacta. I mean, he's 20 to 1 in the line. He's, he, he's, he's got a much better chance than that. You know, he, he, he's run well in California this winter, but, you know, with kind of t- tough trips in both his races. So uh, he's uh, a horse to throw in for a price. That's good. So I had this general question for you. Okay. This is the first year that sports betting has really taken off nationally with all these commercials. You can bet on anything anywhere. Has the general availability of sports betting had any effect on horse racing where there had been betting for a thousand years? You know, I'm sure it has. I mean, it, it's, kind of, it, it's uh, uh, kind of hard to quantify uh, the, uh, uh, you know, or, or, you know, or judge, you know, just how much it's, it's affected it. I mean, the, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the overall betting numbers and racing are, are down. But there are a lot of factors contributing to it. But you know, the, these are these are not horse racing's golden years. That's for sure. Right. How do you feel about sports betting? How do you? How do you? Is there a purist point of view? Is there somebody who has bet on horses for so long that there is a purist point of view about other people now betting on everything? Uh, n- not at all. I mean, I. Uh, uh, I mean, I. 
I always want to have some action when I'm on the sofa <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon in the fall watching a football game. I mean, I'm not, I'm not serious about it, but uh, you know, I love to gamble. I would, I would never, uh, you know, make any anti-gambling pronouncements in public. Okay, I, and I appreciate that. We had Chuck Culpepper on yesterday. He wrote this great story about Secretariat, where Secretariat yep. rests, and I'm sure you read it in the Post. Yep. This is the 50th anniversary of Secretariat. What are your thoughts on that horse relative to the horses in your whole life? <clears throat> you know, probably, you know, the, you know, the, you know, on his best day was the, was the greatest of all time in this country. Um, you know, it, he, he was, he came, you know, just as, you know, Dermasota Gaki is coming along at a time when, uh, you know, uh, Japan is in its ascendancy. Te- Secretariat came along in the golden age of, of American racing. I mean, the fact that it, w- within a few years of him, we had Seattle Slough, spectacular bid, affirmed in Alidar. Uh, you know, so he he was he was part of a you know of a great period in the sport, and uh, <clears throat> you know and. Uh, uh, I mean, all those horses were tremendous. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just look back on that whole decade, you know, with kind of, uh, kind of breathless admiration. Uh, I mean, Secretary was probably the best of them, but you know, Secretary against Spectacular bid, you know, could could have been a real battle. But uh, you know, the uh, I, I think the the thing that cemented. Secretariat's reputation was, was that Belmont Stakes, where you know he won by thirty-one legs. It was probably, uh, well, undoubtedly, like the most single most breathtaking performance by a horse we've seen in this country. Uh, so it, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I guess he 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 deserves the uh, uh, you know the, the the status in history that he's got. Now, I would get you out of here as we always do. Pick a Derby winner. Pick a one, two, three for us. What What are you thinking right now? Um, well, Dermasota Gaki, uh, uh, Skinner. Um, there is a second year. There is a second Japanese horse in the race uh, by the name of Continuar that I was going to emphasize in my betting, but he has not. According to all the wise guys who have seen him, he has really trained poorly here. I'll throw him in just as suicide insurance. Fantastic. All right, we'll talk to you before the Preakness. Thanks, Andy. Hi, Tony. Andy Beyer. He's the, look, he's the best, all right? He's the best horse racing person in the world. He is. He's the best. And those recommendations he just gave out? Yeah. He's going to bet on them for himself. Oh, he will bet on them. <laughs> yes. I have been in press boxes with Andy. <laughs> yes. When Andy says he's betting and he goes to the window and I'm with him, he bets on the horse he says he's yes. betting on. Yes, he does. He's love him. George Mallet must be so happy about this. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show.
Donald McPhee from Alexandria, Scotland, on the bagpipes in honor of the coronation of King Charles, That's which right. is tomorrow or Sat- Sunday? Sat- Saturday, I believe. For All us. right, two days from now. Yes. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? For Bethesda us? Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, she said there is no reason and the truth is plain to see, but I wandered through my playing cards, would not let her be. One of 16 Vestal Virgins were leaving for the coast and although my eyes were open, they might just as well have been closed. Um, this is Procol Harum. This is a wider shade of pale. Um, because Binghamton is technically, Binghamton University is technically in Vestal, New York. We used to love that line when they talked about the 16 Vestal Virgins. Um, you, you didn't think I would not get that one. Oh, I knew you would get that yeah. one. But I loved it as we were talking about it. And so it was Leyeda, <laughs> as yes. the Miller told the tale. Whoever came to the rest of the group and said, yeah, for the next song. Let's do Chaucer. Chaucer. Let's do Chaucer, kids. <laughs> Let's do Chaucer. And you know what? It's brilliant. Thanks to our brilliant. guests today, Tim Legler and Andy Beyer. Thanks to our sponsors, Rocket Money and Sunday. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show on, get the show on Apple, please leave us a review. Okay. From Scott Holmeyer in Downers Grove, Illinois. Proving I'm too involved with this podcast at first glance when downloading Monday's episode, I read Unlimited Crab Mallets as something to do with George Mallet <laughs> as it's Kentucky Derby time. As an aside to the connective tissue, I watched George when I was in high school and college on WTVD in Durham, North Carolina. I ran alongside George for about half a mile in 5K in 1993 and to borrow from... Warren Zevon, his hair was perfect, even at a 7.30 a.m. race on a Saturday. Anchorman hair. Gotta love it. And Scott ends by saying, eat it, Eric Becker. Um, from Stephen Schram. Ready to hear from another Schram, the real bagel speed title holder? With all due respect to Buster, I feel confident that I broke his bagel uh, baking speed record shortly after his departure. His re- reign, although impressive, was short. The Buster episode was so much fun to listen to, brought back so many fond memories, as well as touched my father, who historically might be considered emotionally hard to touch. I have not had the pleasure of reading Dave's entire email, but I suspect we had polar experiences. I, being a high school student at the time, was not threatened by Buster's strong relationship with my father. I finally had a big brother. Dave and I had a strained relationship growing up, not a lot in common. Buster became a quick favorite within our family as well, as the Bagel Stop family due to his kindness, wit, and work ethic. Some of my fondest memories with Buster involved bagel delivery pickups, basketball, and wiffle ball. I've never witnessed anyone over the age of 12 slide so often in backyard wiffle ball. Buster may be, no is, the most competitive dude I know. Unfortunately, life seems to get away in the way of staying connected. I have not seen or spoken with Buster in a while. Hope your podcast can be credited with us reconnecting. Isn't that nice? That is. Lovely. From Spencer in Seattle. A few years back, my cousin solicited myself and other family members to purchase tickets for a raffle for their children's t-ball league was running. I was delighted to get a call the next week saying I won third prize, and even more so when they told me it was a Yeti Tundra 75. With this $400 prize, $400 prize going to the third place winner, it occurred to me to ask, ma'am, what were the first and second prizes? To which she responded, second place won a big green egg. That's that's a, are, that's $1,000. Yeah, this is a huge T-ball a big prize. Green egg. And first won an Angus calf. A 21-year-old college student at the time, I was thankful to have won the prize that I did because I would have no idea what to do with a living, breathing calf. And two, I was excited to show off the fancy new beer cooler to all my friends. Today, however, I would love the return on a seven-year-old Angus cow. Mm. Wonder if Buster Olney has ever raffled off his cattle. (laughs) From Gordy in San Diego, California. Chuck and Roxy, episode 217. (laughs) You know, um, catching up on the pod... 
uh, is the new game, how many chickens do you have? I've got two thighs in my freezer. I guess that puts me at one. Probably outside the top 20 in that category. Tim Walker in Indianapolis. I was thrilled to hear Tony Beeson recount the story about the memory demonstration that Jerry Lucas would frequently display. Wait till you get to the next sentence on this one, kids. My father, Paul Walker, was Jerry's high school coach at Middletown High School. Luke led the Middies to state championships his sophomore and junior years and didn't lose a high school game until the state semifinals his senior year, a streak of 76 straight wins. Luke's mind was always active. He liked to imagine the rim as a clock face, and he would study where the ball would carry him if it hit 3 o'clock versus 9 o'clock. Frequently, he would practice this by putting up shots that would intentionally hit different points of the imaginary clock and note the ricochet. This would confuse onlookers watching him missing multiple shots in a row and wondering if he had lost his shooting touch. I believe he's one of a handful of players to win championships at the high school, college, Olympic, and professional levels. Jerry Luke is one of the greatest high school players of all time. Yes. From John Decker, Burke, Virginia. I heard you discussing holes in one. I've never had one, but my mom has. The 18th at the LaPointe Golf Club, Madeline Island, Wisconsin. Driver on a par three. Not a big hitter, the mama. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? That's a great Not the llama. Not a big hitter, the mama. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Kelly Carden, Ozark, Missouri. When I heard your questioning tone about golf balls traveling down rivers to faraway places, they do. As a firefighter on a water rescue team in the Midwest, I cannot guess how many times I've been out in the rain at night in the middle of nowhere trying to get some dope who drove into flowing water, only to hear another team member say, What's with all these bleeping golf balls? <laughs> they flow down from whatever pond got flooded at whatever course uphill. Remember, kids, turn around, don't drown. Never drive into moving water. Yes. From Daniel Kilday in Austin, Texas. A friend of mine, let's call him Ben because that's his name, approached me at church and told me he listened to my appearance on the Loyal Littles podcast, episode 212, without knowing anything about the theme. I had no idea that I was a little, he said. I've been watching PTI for years, but was completely unaware that Tony had a podcast until I heard you. It was like this piece of the pie that had been missing until now. So Monday was Ben's first ever experience with your show. And what does he hear? An email from a fellow church member, Mary Faye Randolph, talking about me. I don't know if that's one in a million, but it ain't zero. Um, Elliot Olshansky, I need to get to this. In light of your comment about beef on Wex sandwiches not spreading from Buffalo the way that Buffalo Wings have, you might be interested to know that the original name of the Buffalo Wild Wings chain was Buffalo Wild Wings and Weck, or BW3 for short. Hmm. The Buffalo natives who started the chain originally included Weck sandwiches on the menu, but eventually dropped them, save for a short stint in 2017 to celebrate the chain's 35th anniversary. I guess there's a reason you only get them in Buffalo. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I'm wondering how long it will be before you and Nigel start looking at the emails in the evening and exclaim, every night, it's the bleeping chicken. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You so long. <laughs>
Shallow mental confines Driving faster every day To a place that 